Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here in person that are going to This is a bitter. We want to and we should celebrate our fathers today, but we're also missing their Our dear pastor. It's so hard for us to believe that God, like he should be sitting over there. He should be here with us. Just hard, hard for all. We also think of Gabby and his children, and grandchildren, his father today, and how they must be feeling. His father. Tomorrow is actually his birthday, so please continue to pray for the family. Uh, hold them up. I want you to know as well that many people are praying for us. This past week, I received so many messages from people I know and some from people I didn't even know. Pastors who sent me messages saying that they stopped in the middle of their service last Sunday to pray for us. So please know that you're not alone and um, brothers and sisters all over are praying for us and lifting us up at this time. Before I go on, let's just pause for a moment and pray. God, we come to you and we just thank you that you love us and that you comfort us and that you are here. And uh, we just confess our great need for you today. And I just pray that you will help Gabby and the entire family. God, continue to just give them strength and peace and comfort at this time. Help us as a church family. God, we need you. Lord, I just pray today as we look into your word that you would uh, speak to our hearts, help us to be open to what you would have us to, to know today, and God, help us to become more like you. And I just thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's an ancient story about a woman who finds a valuable stone in a river. She places the stone in a bag, and later a traveler comes to the woman and asks for something to eat. While she's reaching into the bag for a crust of bread, the traveler sees this valuable stone, and he asks her to give him the stone, and she readily does so and throws in some bread as well. That man thinks, oh, I've got it made. But several days later, the man returns, and he gives back the, the woman the stone, and he said that, I'm giving this back because I want something even more valuable from you. And the woman asked what that would be. And the traveler said, please, give me what you have that enabled you to give me that stone. We are in part two of our Inspired series. A couple of Sundays ago, we were inspired by Jesus' example in Matthew chapter 9, 35 to 38, to be more compassionate. And today, I'm praying that we'll be inspired to become more generous. One portion of scripture that we can learn from in this area of generosity is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen so you can follow along. Again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, I'm going to be reading all 15 verses. It's a little bit long, so bear with me, but this is really good stuff. This is what it says. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, 
and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Archia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have provided yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, to give you a little bit of context to this passage, in the previous chapter, the first five verses, it mentions the situation of a famine in Jerusalem and Judea. The Jewish world, and therefore the Jewish Christians, were suffering deep need. So this chapter revolves around the Corinthians having made a promise, an enthusiastic, generous promise to help their fellow believers. Now Paul plans to send a delegation to make arrangements to receive their gift. He says he's spoken to other churches and he's mentioned the Corinthians' generosity and great willingness to give. And now, so to speak, it's time for these believers to make good on their promise. Paul in this passage is inspiring the Corinthians and us to be generous. And he gives us some reasons why it's important for us to be generous. And the first comes from verses 2 to 5, and that is generosity is contagious. You see, your generosity will trigger generosity in others. The point here, as in much of the Christian life, models matter. Paul first mentions the fact that he's held up their promise before other churches as an example. And he uses the, Christ, the Corinthians' pledge as an example to inspire other churches so that they also might be more generous. And what's been the result? Well, verse 2 says they got stirred on to action or inspired to action. Those other churches got on board. 
The initial response from the Corinthians fired other people up, and it got them in the act to give as well. You know, not too much inspires us as powerfully as good examples, especially in the Christian life. I've heard it said most things are better caught than taught. (laughs) When I hear stories of people living generous lives, it makes me want to be more that way. Kind of like the story I read about Rick Razamani. At the age of 44, he had never even donated blood. But after hearing about a woman who donated a kidney to help an ailing friend, he decided to see if he could donate his kidney to a stranger. His action, the enormous generosity of one generous man, generated a domino chain that resulted in what the National Kidney Registry called Chain 124. It was an unprecedented 60 operations, linking 30 kidneys from 30 donors to people who needed one. Rick's generosity inspired others to be generous, and 30 lives were saved. When I read that, I thought, what an amazing story of contagious generosity. Generosity is contagious, and I pray that's one thing that we all catch. (laughs) Another reason why it's important to be generous is because generosity is rewarding. Generosity should never be for the purpose of receiving something. We shouldn't give to get. But the truth is, it is very rewarding. And the blessing of God is one of the fringe benefits. If you're generous, you understand that what goes through your hands isn't lost. It's invested. Winston Churchill said, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. I like that. And in Luke 6, 38, we read a promise from Jesus that holds true today. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The good measure that he gives back to us is not always money or material goods, but it's always worth far more than we could ever give. The God who gave his son will not be outgiven. In verse 6, we see a theme that runs through scripture and throughout life. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Any farmer knows this. If you plant a few seeds in the ground, you can expect a small harvest. But if you plant a lot of seeds in the ground, you can expect a large harvest. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. See, the key to getting more out of anything is putting more into it. And that's true for church, for relationships, and life in general. You reap what you sow. It's like the story that I read about a young man who had this terrible falling out with a neighboring farmer. One night, in an act of cruel vengeance, he crept through the neighboring fields. As he did, he scattered some seeds of a persistent, virulent weed. Very soon, the weeds sprang up, and no amount of effort would eradicate them. Years passed, and eventually the young man fell in love with the farmer's daughter. He married her, and then in time inherited the farm. He later confessed that he was spending the rest of his life reaping what he had sown in that one act of angry folly. You see, you reap what you sow. So let's be sure to sow seeds of generosity, because when you do, you'll see that generosity is rewarding. A third reason why it's important to be generous 
is because generosity is good for the heart. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One commentary I read about this passage, it said, There are sad givers, mad givers, and glad givers. Sad givers are the ones who give grudges. Mad givers are the ones who feel they have to give, and they give it um, out of the, the necessity of feeling like they have to. And then there's the last group, glad givers. Glad givers respond with joy. The Greek word for cheerful in this passage is one most of you would know. It's hilarious. The glad givers, the cheerful givers, are the people who are like, woohoo, I get to give. You know, I used to use that verse in kids' church a lot when I was the kids' pastor. God loves a cheerful giver. When we used to take up the offering, we used to sometimes, I would say to them, let's just laugh when we take up offering because God loves a cheerful giver. So we would sit there and the kids would just laugh and laugh as we gathered the offering because I thought it was important for our children to grow up to be generous and know that generosity is good for the heart. And uh, I think it's so important that, that we all understand that. I remember one time getting an envelope in the offering, and it had $5 in it. And it said, Dear God, this is my tooth fairy money, but I want to give it to you. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Now, let me clarify something here before I go on. Generosity isn't about money. It's a character issue. It's a transformation of my mind and my heart. It's grasping how wonderful God is to us, and it's generated by grace and thankfulness. A, genera a generous person will think, I get to participate in God's higher, higher purpose. I get to build something that's much bigger than me that will last longer than me. It's a heart issue. Uh, but it's not always easy to be generous because our natural thought is to take care of ourselves and to be selfish. I think Andy Stanley said it best when he said, by nature, the concept of generosity is in direct conflict with the concept of self-preservation. We'd all like the reputation for generosity. Our problem is we'd like to buy it cheap. <laughs> now, the, the world can tell you Get all you can, keep all you can, and the one who dies with the most toys wins. But that is a lie. You don't believe me? Well, let me prove it. I want you to think about the most generous person you know. Someone who's generous with their time, their love, and their resources. Get that person in your mind. Think about them. What are they like? Are they happy? Are they blessed? I think you would find that they are. Now, I want you to think about the least generous person you know, the most stingy, selfish person you've ever met. This should be a little easier. Got that person in your mind? What's their life like? What are they like? Are they happy? Are they sad? Chances are they're not very blessed. And the Bible says in Proverbs 11, 24 to 25, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I like how the Message Bible says it. It says it this way. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. 
the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Now, when I give generously, it breaks the chains of selfishness in my heart. Every time I give, that selfishness controls me a little less. See, the, the key to overcoming selfishness is to be a blessing to someone else. When you give, it reminds you that it's not about you. We, we live in a very materialistic world, and it's easy for us to become materialistic. But generosity is the cure to materialism. I like what Lloyd Shadrach said. He said, generosity is to materialism what kryptonite is to Superman. True generosity frees us from selfishness and materialism, and it's good for the heart. Another reason to be generous is because generosity is God-honoring. How is Christ-like generosity, how does that honor God? Well, the first way has to do with the way we give. Look again at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul introduces a word he's never used before in the practice of giving. He says, this service that you perform, it's the word for service. In the Greek, that word meant priestly service. So what Paul is doing is lifting giving up to the highest level possible of the sort of act that Christians can be involved in. He's saying that we honor God. Why? Because we're not just offering money to a cause or to people. We're giving a spiritual sacrifice to God when we give with the right motive. And there's another way generosity honors God. And verse 12 states the obvious. God uses you to meet needs. Generosity will regularly involve us making sure that both ministry needs and people's physical needs are met. Now, every Christmas here at Warden, we do something called Christmas Cheer, where we give gift cards to families and individuals in our church and community that are in need. They can use that gift card to buy food or toys for their children. And many of you have contributed to Christmas Cheer in the past. Well, I'm the person on staff that has the honor to contact those families and give them their gift from the church. And I I get to wish them a Merry Christmas, and and it's so amazing to hear the responses and the thank yous from those who are receiving from your generosity. Everyone is thankful, but this past Christmas, I was touched by this one single mother. I, I had learned when I talked to her that she had just lost her job and she didn't know how she was going to do it, how she was going to feed her family or even give them anything for Christmas. And when she saw the gift and knew how much it was, she began to cry and she just kept saying, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, over and over again. You see, at that moment, she was overwhelmed with thankfulness to God for meeting her need. Did you ever consider that when you're generous, when you freely give of your time, your talent, your resources, that becomes a direct pathway by which people offer praise to God? In verse 13, it says, the people will praise God because of your generosity. Notice Paul doesn't say that people will praise the Corinthians. He says they will praise God. And finally, we honor God when we're generous because it's then that people will see what God is like. Uh, One thing my husband John loves to do when he can is pick up a happy meal from McDonald's and bring it to our grandson Levi for lunch. Levi gets so excited when he sees Papa coming with that happy meal box, as you can imagine. 
and he'll sit next to Papa to eat it, and never fails, Papa will ask him, can I have a French fry? And Levi will look at him emphatically, and he'll say, no, Papa, no. (laughs) And John will say, what? And he'll say, can I have a fry? And Levi will say, no. And John will say, what? And they'll go back and forth like that for a while. It's actually quite entertaining to watch. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, and I noticed some, there's some things that Levi doesn't realize when Papa is asking him for a French fry. One thing he doesn't realize is that he wouldn't have any French fries if it wasn't for Papa, if Papa didn't bring it to him. Papa was the provider of all the fries. Another thing he doesn't realize is that Papa could take away the fries. He has the power to do that. He also has the power to go and buy another 10 extra large fries from McDonald's and give it to him if he wants to. The last thing I think he doesn't realize is that Papa doesn't need his fries. If Papa wanted fries, he could have brought his own fries. You know, honestly, Levi's Papa John, He's one of the most generous people I know. John loves to give, and unlike me, he especially loves to share his food. He wants Levi to know that it's important to share and that there's joy in giving. In the same way, God is the giver of everything we have. He's the giver of all the fries. He can give and he can take away, and he doesn't need your fries or your money or anything. He owns everything, and he he has the power to do anything he wants. But God wants us to be generous because he knows that it's good for us and that we are more like God when we give. A few weeks ago when Sarah and Joel and my two grandkids, again, Levi and Brooklyn, came to church, someone saw them come in, and they came up to me after, and they said, Oh, that little girl looks just like you. And I was so happy that my granddaughter would resemble me even a little bit. And then I remember when I was a child, people used to come up to me all the time and say, it's no trouble to know that you are Ford Brentson's daughter because you look just like him. You know, as a child of God, I want people to look at me and say, it's no trouble to tell who your father is because you look like him. I believe one way that we resemble our Heavenly Father the most is when we're generous. I like how one person said it, we are most like our maker when we give. I'm going to close with this story. Shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began picking up the pieces. Much of the old country had been ravished by war and was in ruins. But perhaps the saddest sight of all was that that of little orphan children starving in the streets of the war-torn cities. Early on a chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London. As he turned the corner in his Jeep, he spotted this little boy with his nose pressed against the window of the pastry shop. Inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh patch of donuts. The hungry boy was staring in silence, watching every move. Well, the soldier, he pulled his jeep to the curb, stopped, got up, and walked quietly over to where the little fellow was standing. Through the steamed-up window, he could see the mouth-watering morsels as they were being pulled out of the oven, piping hot. The boy released a slight groan as he watched the cook place them into the glass-covered counter. The soldier's heart went out to the nameless orphan as he stood beside him. Son, would you like some of those? The boy was startled. Oh, yeah, I would. 
The soldier stepped inside, bought a dozen, put them in a bag, and walked back to where the young boy was standing in the foggy cold of the London morning. He smiled, held out the bag, and said simply, Here you are. As he turned to walk away, he felt a little tug on his coat. He looked back, and he heard the child ask quietly, Mister, are you God? See, we're never more like God than when we give. We serve a generous God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him generously give us all things? As Christians, we're called to live out the greatest story ever told, a story of divine generosity. When we do that, we are honoring God with our lives. So I have to ask this morning, are you generous? Now, I'm not asking, do you have a lot to give or do you have anything to give at all? The question is, before a generous Savior, are you like him? When the need is clear to serve, to help, to give, how do you react? Are you generous? My prayer this morning is that you have been inspired to be more generous and that you will commit to living more generous lives because generosity is contagious. It's rewarding, it's good for the heart, and it's God-honoring. You know, no one is more generous than God. He's the greatest giver of all time. And if you're here or if you're listening online and you have not yet accepted him as your Savior, I have good news for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. My prayer is that you will accept his most generous gift of salvation today. Just admit that you're a sinner. Ask him to forgive you and invite him into your life today. And if you do that, please let us know so that we can rejoice and journey with you. 